welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey, Kingdom Culture family, happy Sunday. Welcome. So thankful that you're here with us again. If you were with us last week, I hope that you enjoyed part one of this mini-series that we are in called Jonah. I've actually never spoken uh, or done a series, a teaching series, on the book of Jonah ever in my life. And so this is exciting for me. I love the book of Jonah. It's something that I've been personally meditating on for some time now, uh, several months actually, and, you know, really just kind of meditating on it in my personal prayer time uh, with really no uh, agenda to actually share or teach on it, but I really felt the Holy Spirit nudge me to to bring something out of this for uh, our kingdom culture community. I feel like there's so much good in this that God wants to use to speak to us today presently where we're at. So last week, if you were with us, you heard uh, the message. It was called The Realities of the, the Escape. And I had four separate points, talked about the four separate outcomes or, or truths or facts about trying to escape in life and the realities that take place. Number one was it's always the wrong way. When we're trying to escape something prematurely out of the timing of God, out of fear, kind of like what Jonah did, try to escape the calling of God, it's always the wrong way. Number two, talked about how it will never work out as planned. The way that Jonah thought it was going to go, he was going to escape to Tarshish, which was the farthest place uh, in the opposite direction of Nineveh, which is where he was called to go. Uh, and and, exa- and you, you know the story. He hit a storm, ran into a storm. And uh, all the sailors, their lives were threatened as a result. And so it did not work out as Jonah had planned. Number three, talked about how it affects those around you. When you try to escape prematurely in a season, not only are you affecting yourself, but you're affecting those around you. Why? Because there are people around you that are waiting and needing you to become the best version of yourself. As you become the best version of yourself, those that you are with and in proximity to also get to receive those benefits that come with you being the best version of yourself. So when you're not, it affects those around us. It affected the sailors. Their lives were threatened. And number four, we talked about how, uh, you know, the reality behind escaping early uh, in a season when you shouldn't also dulls your senses. We see uh, Jonah in the bottom of the boat fall uh, totally asleep during the craziest storm where the whole boat's the, the whole boat was threatened. All the sailors were threatened for their lives. His, his senses were so dulled, he could fall asleep. And we kind of connected this, uh, this reality of the, the life of Jonah and the life of Jesus being very much in sync in a lot of ways, in the sense of Jonah was considered a type of Christ. And we're going to get into that in a little bit uh, during this part two that we're about to dive into. Now, just to give you a little bit of a recap of the backdrop, Jonah 
is known as a prophet. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, in the time of Jeroboam II, who reigned in the first half of the 8th century BC. He's actually the only known prophet to attempt to run away from a divinely appointed mission. He literally ran in the opposite direction. He was from the town of Gath Hefner in Galilee, which as we know, uh, Jesus was raised in Nazareth, which was in Galilee. Both Jonah and Jesus were from Galilee. Interesting, isn't it? And the whole mission for Jonah, just to recap a little bit for you, if you missed last week, was he was supposed to go to Nineveh to announce judgment on Nineveh, hoping to get the people to repent, okay? The city of Nineveh, the Nineveh was a magnificent city. It was 120,000 uh, population residents, okay? It was twice the size of Babylon. It would have been considered in that time, uh, in the known world, the biggest of cities. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so it gives you a little bit of a glimpse of the magnitude of what uh, Jonah was up against. And he actually believed in his heart. He's going to announce judgment, and they're not going to repent, and he's going to be killed for his prophecy or for his pronouncement. And so Jonah ran in the opposite direction to Tarshish, went down to Joppa, hired some sailors, wanted to escape away. Some uh, scholars say that it was probably either somewhere in Spain or northern Africa. Northern Africa, either southern Spain or northern Africa, which would have been considered the furthest point away that he could go, okay? So just to give you a little bit of context, I wanted to remind us um, a little bit about that. Okay, so now to understand where we're going today, I want to read and go over just the last few verses of last week's passage. We started off with Jonah chapter 1, went all the way to verse 17, okay? So um, you kind of I've already given you a little bit of the sort of paraphrased recap. Jonah was called to go pronounce judgment in Nineveh, and he escaped one in the opposite direction. You know what happens. He's in a boat. He, uh, he's sleeping in the boat. A storm hits the boat. All around him, the lives of the sailors were threatened. Jonah's sleeping while the storm was going on, and he realizes, just to calm this storm, Jonah realized that he had to be thrown into the sea. And once he was thrown into the sea, the storm would stop and everyone would be safe, okay? So if you remember from last week, if you haven't listened to last week's message, I would encourage you, listen to last week's message, okay? Now we're going to pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Jonah, Chapter 1, verse uh, 15 in Jonah. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, I love that. He God had arranged, okay? He arranged, wasn't a random uh, uh, situation, random coincidence, okay? Just, you know, fish randomly swimming by while Jonah was thrown into the water. Okay, God had arranged for a great fish. In some translations, it would be like sea creature, okay? We don't know exactly what type of sea creature. A great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. Kind of sounds... A little bit of what happened to Jesus in the grave for three days and three nights, okay? So now let's just dive into and address before we move on, very important, I want to address the big 
fish in the room, okay? Some of you may have heard that sort of, you know, said like the big elephant in the room, okay? I want to address what some people believe. Some people believe that, and there's some division even scholarly, okay, on this. Some people believe that this story was simply uh, an allegory or simply an illustration, a way of communicating spiritual truth, okay, but it didn't actually happen. Then Jonah didn't actually get swallowed by a giant fish because logically, scientifically, um, there's just not really a fish that we could identify that a human being could live in for three days and three nights in the sea, in the depths of the sea. Like, it's just not possible, okay? Because it's not possible, they, they've ruled out, a lot of people have ruled it out that it just, it couldn't have happened. So therefore, Jonah was just, uh, it was just a sort of an allegory or an illustration to to depict sort of some spiritual truth of something that actually did happen. Then there's a whole other camp that does believe, and of course believes that it's possible because the scripture is full of impossible things, okay? I mean, if God could speak through an app, that's Numbers 22, 28, if God could speak through a donkey, okay, then why cannot God arrange for a whale to swallow up Jonah? Now, wait a minute. God spoke through a donkey? Yes, he did. But what if that wasn't true? What if that was simply a fable? Listen, if you, if we want to pick apart scripture like this, we're going to get very confused very quick because there are thousands of stories in scripture of impossible things that your logic and scientific fact cannot explain. Supernatural phenomenon that cannot be explained, okay? If, if everything could be explained from a logical standpoint in Scripture, we would not need faith for anything in God because it would just be logic. It would all make sense. God just makes sense. No, the thing about faith is that when it doesn't make sense, that's where we learn to walk by faith. I mean, Paul said it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, when you see, you think when you see, you're going to believe. But in fact, when you don't see and believe, it's actually more faith than when you see and you believe. Because if you're living your whole life based upon what you see, it will determine what you believe. And the reality of it is, that means what you don't see will determine what you believe or don't believe. And that's not what faith and the faith journey that we're talking about is all about when it comes to our faith in Jesus. But if God can do miracles and create the whole world, Genesis chapter one to two, recorded in all the Bible, I mean, there's miracles recorded in all the Bible. If God can do that, then of course he could also arrange for a whale to swallow Jonah. If God could make the lions in the lion den in Daniel chapter six become friends with Daniel to the point where they didn't attack or eat Daniel, which was the purpose of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. If God could arrange that, but the thing is, see, if we can't believe in the whale, we can't believe in any of these stories. All these stories are just are, are just sort of good stories to 
um, give us a, a picture that God could do it, but he chooses not to do any of those impossible things. No, he did those impossible things. These things did happen. Uh, I've seen too much, too many miracles, too many, too much super, supernatural phenomena in my own life to not even become close to but not believe that this stuff could have actually happened. If Daniel's three friends can be in a death fire seven times hotter than usual and not be burned, then God could definitely arrange for a whale to swallow Jonah. Daniel chapter three. Do I need to keep going? I mean, if Jesus can resurrect, which is really the premise of our faith, not that he just died, because everybody died at some point. What separates our faith from everyone else's faith is that, yes, Jesus took on the sins of humanity and died in our place to set us free and break the chasm or remove the chasm from humanity and God once and for all with a sacrifice. But the one thing that defines us even different, even beyond that, is that he didn't just die a sinless death, he resurrected again as a new man, just as we become a new man, a new woman, when we're born again, John 3, verse 3, and we let Jesus into our life, just like he was reborn, so to speak, or resurrected, we have also resurrected with him. And I can read you a whole bunch of scriptures around that. A lot of people that believe a lot of these stories are allegorical in nature, also believe the resurrection was allegorical in nature. We can't even have the salvation experience without a real resurrection. We do not have a relationship with God without a resurrection, okay? So I'm just going to stop there. So if Jesus can do all of that, then I believe. If God can do all of that, then I believe. And it's very obvious to me that God could arrange to have a whale or a fish or a sea creature, who knows, big dinosaur, swallow Jonah. So now that we got that out of the way, let me ask you a question. How big is the God that you believe in? Because your ability to wrestle between what God can do and what you believe actually happened determines your faith and perspective of the God you say you believe in. Like I said, I've seen too much. Nothing is impossible with God. Let's say it again. Nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19, verse 26. Today, if you're taking notes, write this down. I want to talk on the subject of the belly of breakthrough. The belly of breakthrough, part two. Before we start, I want everyone to slap their belly. Slap it right now. Slap your belly and say to yourself, I'm breaking through today. Come on, say it. Slap that belly and say, I'm breaking through today. Speak to your belly and tell yourself that you're coming up and you're coming out today. It's a new revived you. Let me read our, our, our passage for today. Jonah chapter two. Let me take a sip of this amazing coffee here. One second. Jonah chapter two, verse one to 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. From inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. Now, when he talks about the land of the dead or the ocean depths, it's a reference to what's called Sheol, 
which actually means grave, okay? It's almost like a hell, so to speak, okay? The grave. You threw me into the ocean depths, verse three, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Now, also understand this context. Like the sea would be like considered like a place of suffering. To go into the depths of the sea, it's like being lost. It's separated from humanity. It's like the depths of suffering, okay? So there's also lots of um, connections to uh, uh, and almost pictures uh, in the language used here, okay? Verse four, then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. Because, and the reason for that was because in that time, especially the prophets and priests would tie the presence of God and their connection with God to the temple, to the actual physical location of the temple. Verse five, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered, this is the turning point, verse seven. As my life was slipping away, I rem- as I was literally making my way to the digestive tract of the sea creature, okay? Uh, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on God's mercies. Verse nine, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows. Of course, you know, as he's swimming down towards the intestinal tract of the mammal that swallowed him, okay? He, he's, uh, uh, <laughs> he's renewing his vows, okay? For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10, then, this is the shift, okay? So he comes to the end of himself to find the beginning of God again, which is the whole salvation experience that we all come into. We come to the end of ourselves to find the beginning of God. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish Once again, God is in charge. God ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach, okay? Now, I wanted to say this because sometimes in life, we need the bellies of life to help us break through. There's all kinds of bellies in life, okay? There's hard bellies, there's struggling bellies, challenging bellies, all kinds of bellies in life, I'm just using that as sort of an illustration to uh, to give you a picture of we are literally live in these bellies of isolation, these bellies of struggle, these this bellies these bellies of pandemics or this pandemic that we're in. It's a it feels like a belly where we're trapped. We we want to escape. We're inside it. We can't get out of it. We have no control over getting out of it. All we can control is our heart while we're in it. All Jonah could, Jonah couldn't control him getting out of the belly of the whale or belly of the fish. Jonah could not control that. What he could control though, was his response to God while he was in the belly. We can't control necessarily sometimes the isolation that we're in or the struggle that we're feeling, the challenge that's facing us, the circumstances around us. We can't control these bellies in life. Okay, but we can't always control our reaction and our response to God while we're in that belly. Come on, slap your belly and say, I'm getting a breakthrough today. I'm getting a breakthrough today. And no, disobedience is not the only reason why why we're in the belly. I think we think Jonah Jonah was in the belly because he was disobedient. I think sometimes we're actually 
in other kinds of bellies. I know I'm using that term probably too much and you're probably laughing, but uh, uh, you know, we're, we're in these bellies in life, not just because of disobedience, we're actually in these bellies sometimes because of obedience, okay? There's different types. Joseph was obedient and yet Joseph still went through struggle, challenge, trial, I mean, falsely accused. I mean, yes, he didn't do everything perfect, but even while he was in the bellies, even while he was in the jail, jail was like a belly for him. He was in jail for over two and a half years. Like the guy became the manager of the jail. Like every time he was in the belly, every time he was in the struggle or in the challenge, he found a way to respond to God in such a way that eventually that belly would spit out Joseph into the next promotion. And this is what we're talking about today, okay? So these bellies actually help us come into several types of breakthrough. I'm gonna give you a few today, okay? Number one, these bellies help us realize and remember. They help us realize and remember. Jonah, Jonah, now let me actually, let me read Jonah chapter, chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I think for so many of us, when we go through these different struggles in life, challenges in life, whether it's because of our disobedience or even our obedience, okay? We wait sometimes until we have no choice but to pray. We wait till we're inside. It says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. We don't really see much conversation happening with Jonah and God prior to this. He's on the story. Before this, he was sleeping. I mean, he's trying to ignore the storm. He's ignoring the external conflict around him. That's Scaring everybody else, he's ignoring it. He's dulled, his senses are dulled. He throws himself, or he's thrown into the sea. The sea is calm. He's swallowed up by a sea creature, okay? He's there, now he's inside, and he realizes the, the magnitude of his disobedience. From the inside, he prays. I think it's so important that we don't live a spiritual life that only panic prays. We pray when we're in panic. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're facing challenging circumstances. This, this conversation of prayer that we need to have with God needs to be happening on the mountain as much as it happens in the valley. And I think a lot of people only start to pray when they have no other choice. And I think that it's really God's heart to teach us we're called to live a lifestyle of prayer, not, not a one-time, you know, when we're struggling type lifestyle of prayer, but a lifestyle every day. Jonah felt stuck. Jonah was running. He ran in the opposite direction. He was in trouble. Maybe you felt like you had a business deal that went wrong or you went bankrupt, you lost a relationship or you're in the wrong relationship that you knew you shouldn't have got into. Now you feel like you're stuck, kind of like Jonah and you're praying, God, help me to find a way out without breaking this person's heart. I don't, I don't believe this is a, the right relationship for me to be in. Or maybe you made a career decision that you regret because you, and you, you felt like you shouldn't have, but you did it anyways. Maybe the money was really good, but now you're regretting it. You feel stuck. You feel like you're inside. A lot of us feel that way. Jonah felt that way. You feel like a situation has swallowed you up, whether it was because of disobedience or maybe even obedience. Let me continue reading this scripture. So he's inside the fish. He cries out to the Lord in his great trouble, and he says that he answered me. I called to you, Jonah said, from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me in the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. Let's fast forward, verse four. Then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence 
yet I will look once more towards your temple. We see right here in the conversation with God that he's having while he's in the, the fish, we see this, this, he's realizing, he's realizing and he's remembering who God is. He's realizing the magnitude of his decision to go into the opposite direction and try to sell to Tarshish. He realizes how wrong it was to, to move away from God and to think that he could hide from God. Because if you read the passage before in chapter one, it says he's trying to hide from God, thinking that God's not like everywhere. Like what a small revelation of God you have to think in your mind that you can escape from God. Because no matter where you go, I mean, God is omnipresent, okay? He's everywhere. Jonah failed to realize this in this moment. It says in verse five, I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. Verse, let's get over to verse seven. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Here we see Jonah inside the whale. It took him to get inside the whale, okay? He's inside like a near-death experience. He is like on his way out because of his, his disobedience. And inside the, the fish, he has a realization and he remembers. He realizes the calling of God over his life as a prophet. He realizes the magnitude of his disobedience and what that's caused. He's realized and he's remembered now. He's remembered. He remembers the Lord. He remembers God. He remembers who's in charge. I mean, it took him all this time to remember who's in charge. And it says here to end it off, and my earnest prayer went out to you in the Holy Temple. This is why communion is so important. Because when we feel like we're in the belly of a situation that's hard, or we feel like we're in the belly of a challenge, we feel like we're in the belly of some form of like a, a pushback or struggle in life. Jesus knew the disciples would be in a situation like that. He, Jesus knew that the disciples would struggle for their life and be hated and potentially be crucified just like he was. Jesus knew that these disciples would have persecution. And so he said, listen, guys, I know you're going to face troubles of all kinds. I want to encourage you to do this act of communion in remembrance of me. Take this bread, take this, this cup of, of wine that represents my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to realize and remember who I am and who I want to be for you. And re realize and remember who you are. Because as you realize who I am and remember what I've done for your life to set you free, you will also realize what you have to offer this world. And you won't fail. You won't fall short. You'll keep on going forward. When you want to quit and you want to die in that belly, you want to die in the belly of that, that massive uh, struggle that you're in right now, you'll remember and realize that I was the one who did all of this to set you free so you could change the world. Jonah had a mission to move towards, but he needed to realize and remember who he was. And it took him getting inside the belly of the situation to realize who he was, but ultimately to realize and remember who God is and was for his life. Number two, Number two, these bellies help us also restore and refocus. It says in verse eight, chapter two, verse eight and nine, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, verse nine. But I, Jonah said, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all of my vows 
for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. I love this, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs and pray of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. You see this like restoration happening, this turning happening. He realizes and he remembers who God is, what he's called Jonah to, the magnitude of his disobedience. And then all of a sudden he's like, you see this heart beginning to be restored again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer sacrifices to you. I'm gonna offer songs of praise to you. I'm gonna fulfill all my vows. He begins to refocus. He begins to refocus. You know, praise has a purpose in our life. It does this. It restores and refocuses us, always. Pra to praise God literally means to stand above your situation as an eagle would soar over a situation and see from his perspective. To praise God when there's a struggle. To praise God when there's pain. To, pr to praise God when there's pressure and there's challenges, and there's pushback in our life, is to literally stand above all that and say, God, you're bigger, you're better, you're incredible, you are the God of the impossible. You see Jonah's heart and spirit begin to turn, to restore back to uh, uh, the, who he was prior as a prophet. It helps restore and refocus him back on the mission. He makes a commitment. I am going to fulfill all of my vows. I'm all in. I was out of focus. I wanted to like, you know, you know, <laughs> cancel all of my vows. I, in fact, I was canceling all my vows with my actions, by sailing towards Tarshish really was a was an active way of saying I'm canceling my vows I'm canceling my commitment to God I'm canceling you know out like this desire to be obedient to God and of course if I've canceled my commitment there's no praise coming from me because I don't believe that if God called me to to Nineveh that God will do what he said he's going to do I don't believe it so how can you praise when you don't believe that God's going to do what he says he's gonna do. But in this moment in the whale, all of a sudden he realizes and remembers who God is. And it's, it's almost like you see his heart being restored again. I, I believe God, you will do what you say you will do. Because you are who you say that you are. So therefore I'm gonna commit myself. I'm gonna sing songs of praise. I'm gonna fulfill all my vows. I, you know, we, we started off the year in 2021 the first message of the year was all about praise, was all about worship and how our worship and prayer, praise confuses the enemy. Talked about the battle that King Jehoshaphat led and how they, they, they went ahead, the, the singers and the songwriters and the, the, the worshipers went ahead and basically just sang a simple song, you know, giving thanks to the Lord, saying his faithful love endures forever. He is good, you know. And as a result, as they were worshiping, as they were praising God, in the midst of this battle, the enemy was confused and the enemy began to fight against each other. This is what our praise does. It confuses the enemy because our praise makes the statement that even though I'm up against impossible odds, I can see how good God is. And if I can see how good God is, I can align myself with his goodness so that I can receive the victory he's promised me. 
And that's what praise, praise is the overflow of a victorious spirit. Praise is the overflow of a restored, refocused heart. Praise is the overflow. When I can thank God when I'm in struggle, it's because I can see what God wants to do. I have a healthy perspective of who he is. I've realized and I've remembered what he's like, what he's about, and as a result, it literally overflows out of me as praise, as thanksgiving, as prayer, as this lavished, lavishing love on God. And if I can do that in every challenging situation, I will win over every challenging situation. It's not about winning always tangibly. It's about winning internally. That even if I feel like I might lose tangibly at times, I can win internally. It's about how my spirit responds. You know, Jonah felt like he lost at that point, but he began to win again internally because his heart began to get restored and refocused and back on track. I think this quarantine, this pandemic over the last, now I think 16 months or so, whatever, 15 months, has not only helped us realize and remember who and what the church really is, but it's also allowing us to restore and refocus. You know, and not that there was all kinds of brokenness and out of alignment things in the church, but you know, every time situations like this happen, it restores and refocuses us always, I'm speaking like the big C church, the global church, and brings us back on track. Maybe there's some tracks that the global church was running on, they shouldn't have been running on. And this pandemic has steered them back on course again, has really made them realize what really matters and really re-emphasize this truth and reality that the church is not a building, it's the people. And whether we're gathering virtually or in person, the church is the church. And as long as we're living out this this called out, it's the word is in the Greek, ekklesia, as long as we are being are living out the best version of ourselves as the, with the word ecclesia means the called out ones, as long as we're living that out, we are living and becoming and being the church that we're called to be. Now, of course, physical gatherings are actually hugely important and uh, there's value in physically meeting and we're gonna do that again, that's hugely important. But what I'm trying to say is that it's made us realize and reminded us of the truth that God will build his church even if there's a time and a season where there's no physical location. And this is what it's helped us do in this last season. So number two, restore and refocus. Number three, number three, revive and resurrect. The bellies of situations like this also help us revive and resurrect. Verse nine of chapter two of Jonah, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Now, you might not think this is a powerful statement, but it's a powerful statement. The saving of my soul, the saving of my body, the saving of my entire being comes from the Lord alone. That statement is uh, a statement of complete repentance right there. It's a statement of repentance, of turning now completely to God and allowing God to revive and resurrect Jonah because the very next thing that happens, it says this, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. I think there's something so powerful in the language used here that as soon as Jonah came to the acknowledgement that in the end, 
I'm in need of a savior. Kind of sounds like the gospel. In the end, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm, I am I am in need of 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 Jesus, of God, only God alone to pull me out of this. Nobody else can pull me out of the situation but God. That's what we have to get to in life. You know, every one of us before we met or knew Jesus in a relationship had to come to this end of ourselves, so to speak, and realization that salvation, the saving of my soul, can only come through God and God alone. Not my own strength, not my own gifts, not my own amazing disciplines and efforts, but God and God alone. And in that moment, it was like he was revived and resurrected. His life was spat out onto the beach. And now just ima I imagine this, because once again, I believe that this happened, as I believe all the other miracles in Scripture happened, and they're all impossible, and they all don't make sense, but once you've seen enough miracles, you realize that God is the uh, author of the impossible. He is Mr. Impossible himself. The whole message you believe in the gospel is impossible for a man to die and resurrect, for a man even to take the whole sin of the whole world in his body, a body in one moment and then resurrect that's impossible, but you know if you're in if you're if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you, you can't pick and choose what you like and don't like. Okay, that's what people do who don't believe in that Jesus is the Son of God. They pick and choose. They like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's like a buffet, but I don't like the main course. I don't want the main thing. The main thing is Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is what distinguished Jesus as very different from everybody else there, out there in the world, every other small g God. Jesus said, I am am God. I am he. Look at the story of the Samaritan at the well. The last statement, John chapter 4, that he made to the Samaritan at the well who was drawing water after he gave a word of knowledge to her and she had a revelation that this guy was the Messiah. Jesus said, I am he, claiming to be God, the savior of the universe. So anyways, back to the story. Jonah has this realization or this, this moment of revelation that he needed to revive and resurrect his life. This was like the, this was this was like a reviving of sorts. This was a a resurrection. Jonah being spat on, onto the land because this is when he began to restart his mission again en route to Nineveh. And by the way, you think about this back in the day, like these prophets, man, they they went far. Like his travel would have been probably where, we don't know exactly where he was when he was spat out, but this this travel would have taken him at least a month, traveling like, I think, 10 hours a day, at least a month to get there. Imagine traveling, okay, every day, all day long, for over 30 days, to give a prophetic word of judgment to one of the most intimidating cities in the known world. This is why Jonah was freaking out. You're like, I'm going to go all this way to pronounce this judgment, hoping that this people, these people are going to are going to repent when I know that, you know, they serve many gods. Once again, it was a polytheistic society and culture, many gods, okay? Not monotheistic in the sense, okay? Poly, many, okay? So Jonah's going there and he's like, there's no way these guys are going to buy into this. So I'm going to like a fool. I'm going to go all this way only to be, like, captured and beaten, probably, because they won't like what I have to say. 
I mean, this is what Jonah is up against. But Jonah, you know, had to go through this, this situation, had to go, got to get swallowed up by a challenging circumstance for him to realize and remember, for him to restore and refocus, and for him to ultimately revive and resurrect and do the original thing that God called him to do. He had to hit rock bottom. Sometimes God lets us hit the bottom so he can make us realize and remember, restore and refocus, revive and resurrect, which are my three points, and come into and become the thing that God wants us to become. Now, let's look at this story for a second in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27. We're almost done. Now, I'm trying to, by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, trying to also show with the little time that we have, because we could talk about this stuff and go really deep for a very long period of time. But I really wanted to give you the story of Jonah. But there's so much about Jonah's life that is represented in the life of Jesus or compared to. And scholars, many scholars say that Jonah is a type of Christ, okay? So Matthew 17, verse 27, is a story, and I'm not going to read the whole story for you, but it's a very interesting story, okay? And Jesus is having this conversation with some of the religious people, okay? And they're kind of confronting him a little bit like they do, talking about taxes. Does Jesus pay tax? And he's kind of, like, he's, he's going through the process. Now, Peter would have paid taxes because he was the oldest out of the disciples, okay? So now this is in an interaction with Peter, that he's having. I'm just going to go back to the last part of the verse. I don't have time to go through the whole story. Verse 27 of chapter 17. But so that we may not cause offense, basically Jesus was saying, technically speaking, and he was using an illustration to define it. If you read the previous verses, which you need to go through, you can read it yourself. But he's basically, technically speaking, I don't have to pay taxes, but I'm going to, to risk offending the system. Okay, this is what he says. But so that we may not cause offense, Go to the lake, Peter, and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, which it actually wasn't a fish fish that he caught, per se. Like, he wasn't, like, there waiting and caught the fish, okay? Because the, the language actually is, it actually rose up to the top, okay? And so he caught it that way. But he says, take uh, the go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish, fish that you cash, catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Okay, listen, listen, Peter, as an illustration, okay, you're going to go and perform a miracle, basically, but you're going to go pay the taxes for both me and yourself with a coin that you find in a fish's mouth, the first fish that you catch. Okay, once again, you, you think about, you know, Jonah being in the belly of a fish. You think about a coin, okay, <laughs> being in a fish's mouth. Jesus said this. Like, you, you, we can't pick apart and say, well, I like that, but I don't like this. Once again, this is the lifestyle of the supernatural, you guys. It's everywhere in Scripture. Peter goes down, puts this hook in the water, catches this fish, pulls out of the fish's mouth a coin that pays the taxes. Now, just imagine Imagine that scenario. Imagine, you know, like you pay your mortgage. God says to you, you don't get money for your mortgage? Go down to the local uh, the local fish market and you're going to, you know, d- dissect the first fish that you see and in there there'll be like $2,000 to pay off your mortgage cash, you know, <laughs> like imagine, okay? Or someone's credit card will be in there. No, I'm just joking. But interesting, this is a real miracle that happened. But the purpose of this story, okay, is actually a very strong uh, uh, 
there's a very strong connection to this story and the story of Jonah and the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? Because what came up out of the sea, think about this for a second, remember this, okay? The illustration earlier on, I mentioned this. The sea that Jonah would have been in, okay, would also been symbolic of the sea of suffering, okay? The suffering of humanity. And, and Jonah had to go through a suffering moment to revive and resurrect. Kind of like Jesus went through a suffering moment, a death, to have a resurrection, okay? Talk with me for a second. Jesus paid our sin debt, did he? Did he not? He paid our sin mortgage off. His whole death on a cross was to pay the wages of your sin, okay? Your sin owed a debt to God that you could never pay. So Jesus died, okay? He took the sin of you upon his body on a cross and then resurrected so literally he could pay off the debt that you could never pay that came as a result of your sin. It's called the this, this sin and death, okay? He conquered death. He conquered your penalty by dying on a cross. He, he paid it off. So here we have a picture, Jesus, a foreshadowing here, this coin, okay, paying off the debt to the system, so to speak, the debt, okay, the tax, okay? Jesus paid the tax for Peter. It was a prophetic proclamation that out of the sea of suffering, I am going to give you what you need to pay off the sin debt in your life. The sin tax, sin tax has been paid. Interesting, isn't it? God had to put a hook in the water to pull something great from something bad. God drew Jonah from the water and turn something bad into something good. It was the grave of sin and death. Now, let me fast forward now over to Matthew 12, verse 38. Same book. Then a few Jewish scholars and Pharisees spoke up and said, Teacher, why don't you perform miraculous signs for us? This is the Jewish scholars and Pharisees talking to Jesus, okay? Why don't you perform miraculous signs for us? Verse 39. Jesus replied, Only evil people who are unfaithful to God would demand a sign. There will be no sign given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. There's no sign given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, verse 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Interesting that in this moment, he says there's no sign other than the sign of Jonah. Jonah represented disobedience. Jonah represented disobedience unto repentance, unto resurrection, okay? Now, this is the sign of Jonah. There's lots of different layers of this. But verse 49, the people of Nineveh will also rise up on the day of judgment to condemn this generation, for they all repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. So you see, Jesus actually gives the sort of end of the story where Jonah pronounces this judgment, which we'll get into next week, and they actually repented. They repented. Jonah didn't think they were going to repent. Jesus came with a message of repentance, John came with a message of repentance. Jesus came with a message of repentance unto forgiveness, the saving of one's soul, 
okay? For they all repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. And there is one greater than Jonah here preaching to you today, speaking of himself. Even the queen of Sheba will rise up on the day of judgment to condemn this generation for its unbelief. Even the world, okay? Even the world will see the unbelief. She journeyed from afar and distant land to hear the wisdom of King Solomon. Yet now there is no one greater than Solomon speaking to you. Not, not, but yet now there is one greater than Solomon speaking to you today. Speaking of himself. Speaking of himself. Could it be that living in the belly of this pandemic as Canadians, that we are about to be spit up out onto our real mission in life. I'm, I'm just prophesying for a second. Could it be that we are in this belly of this pandemic right now to realize and remember, restore and refocus, revive and resurrect, so that when the time comes that this pandemic spits us out onto the beach, that we will begin once again preaching an unadulterated, message of hope, love, hope for the future? Could it be that God is setting us up, the global church, again, to return to our divine mission? Could it be? I believe we'll come out eventually, but we need to do a few things, like I said, I've reiterated over and over again. These bellies of breakthrough, which is what we're talking about today, are designed to help us realize and remember, restore and refocus, revive and resurrect. Ultimately, we are being quarantined for revival. I hope this message encourages you, encouraged you. I hope it strengthens you. I just believe God right now wants to rearrange and redirect some stuff in your life. You may feel like you're on the inside right now. You may feel like you're struggling right now. You may feel like it's a hard season right now. You may feel like your disobedience or maybe even your obedience has caused you to feel like you're trapped and you're stuck. I just believe it's temporary. I believe you are in the belly of breakthrough. You are in the belly of breaking through. But the first thing that has to happen is God's got to get your attention in that space. God's got to get your heart. It's all about your response. It's about your reaction. It's about how you lean into God in these moments. I want to pray. I believe God is going to give you some hope today. I believe God's going to give you some strength today. I believe God's going to give you a renewed perspective today. I believe God's going to do a miracle in your life. Maybe you feel like the way you got into this was a miracle. The way you're going to get out of it is also going to be a miracle. Maybe you feel like the way you got into this was because of a, a, a mistake. Let me just tell you, the way you get out of it, won't be by mistake. It will be by divine appointment because you turn your heart towards him and you literally rearrange your focus in this season and you refocus on what really matters in this season. Let me pray for you in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you care about every person. God, and I pray, I just pray that right now, like as we're standing, sitting here, however we're, however we're watching this on our phones, on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, that God, we would look within and say, it's time for the real me to rise up. It's time for the real me to awaken again. It's time for me to realize that this belly that I'm in is a setup for breakthrough. You may not like that word, but the, 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 the truth is there is no breakthrough without a breaking. Everyone thinks about breakthrough being this big, amazing, awesome thing, but it's actually a hard thing because you have to be broken to have a breakthrough. Something has to break before you can break through. And that breaking comes with vulnerability. It comes with, uh, you know, humbling yourself, 
lowering yourself, letting God do the heart work, which is always really hard work. And so God, I pray that you would fill us right now with your power and your strength, that God, you would heal our emotions, our hearts right now. God, I pray that in this season, you would show us what it looks like to restore and refocus our attention on the things that you want us to restore and refocus our attention on, that you'd show us what it looks like to realize and remember who you are, and ultimately, God, that you would truly revive us in this season, that you would resurrect us in this season to become the best version of ourselves in Jesus' name. God, thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name. We love you. I hope this encouraged you. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's a good season. We're being quarantined for revival. Let's slap those bellies in the season and say, get ready for breakthrough. It's time to move forward. It's time to move up and move out in Jesus' name. Kingdom Culture, we love you, and we'll see you next week. Wow, what an amazing message. What an amazing part two. I love part two. My favorite so far. The belly of the big breakthrough. What an amazing message. What an encouragement. What a, I really feel like the revival spirit. And then like, but I also want to encourage you if you've never been introduced to this life, mm-hmm. to this life in Christ, mm-hmm. to this life of breakthroughs, to this life of freedom. Yeah. That Jesus came and paid the price for your freedom. Mm-hmm. I want to invite you to say yes to him today, to yeah, say absolutely. yes to new life, yeah. to transform yeah. life, yeah. for reformation coming into your life for a new season for you and can embrace this new season, this new life that Jesus has to offer for you. So if you want to say yes, I want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to walk in freedom. I ask forgiveness of my sins. And I say yes to you. I believe that you were raised from the dead to new life. Thank you for giving me new life, new hope today. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you made that decision, the best decision you could ever make to accept Jesus into your heart, we want to be there for you. We want to help you along the way with resources and prayer and support. So send us an email to prayer at kingdomculture.ca and we are excited to come alongside you. Yes, absolutely. Guys, I'm excited for next week, Father's Day. We're going to have a special guest. Stay tuned with our social media. Find out more. Father's Day is going to be awesome. We're going to put this series in a little pause. We'll come back for the the following week to part three of the Jonah series. And it's going to be awesome. Have an amazing day. Enjoy the weather and have good, good times. Bye. Bye.